Section 29 of The History of Lady Julia Mandeville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Lady Julia Mandeville by Francis Brooke. Section 29. Epistle Colonel to Colonel Belleville, Tuesday morning. Your letter, my dear Belleville, gave me all the consolation it is possible to receive amidst such a scene of wretchedness and despair. The tender sympathy of pitying friendship is the best balm for every woe. The delicacy with which you decline mentioning a subject so improper for the time would increase my esteem for you, if that was possible. I know the goodness, the tender sensibility of your heart too well to doubt your approving my resolution to give six months to the memory of my angelic friend, and the sad task of endeavouring to soften the sorrows of her parents. Her dying voice adjured me not to leave them to their despair. I will not forget the sad task her friendship imposed. The agony of Lady Belmont's grief begins to give place to a sorrow more reasonable, though perhaps not less exquisite. The violence of her emotions abates. She still weeps, but her air is more calm. She raises her eyes to heaven, but it is with a look of patient resignation, which, whilst it melts my soul to behold, gives me hopes she will not sink under her afflictions. Lord Belmont struggles with his own grief, lest it should increase hers. He attempts to comfort her, he begs her with an irresolute air to consider the hand from whence the stroke proceeded. Unable to go on, his voice trembles, his bosom swells with unutterable anguish. He rises, he leaves the room. The tears trickle down his reverend cheeks. These, Belleville, these are the scenes I have perpetually before my eyes. Colonel Mandeville indulges his sorrow alone, shut up continually in his apartment, a prey to silent distress. He seems to fly from all human converse. If entreated, he joins our sad party a moment, he enters with a dejected air. His eyes are bent earnestly to the ground. He sits motionless, inattentive, absorbed in reflection on his own misery. Then, starting up, exclaims, All else I could have borne, and retires to give himself up to despair. I am now convinced Emily Howard deserved that preference Lady Julia gave her over me in her heart, of which I once so unjustly complained. I lament, I regret— but am enough myself to reason to reflect Emily Howard can only weep. Far from being consoled for the loss of her lovely friend by the prospect of inheriting Lord Belmont's fortune, to which after Colonel Mandeville she is entitled, she seems incapable of tasting any good in life without her. Every idea of happiness her gentle mind could form included Lady Julia's friendship. With her she wished to spend all her days, she was all to her tender Emily. Without her she finds the world a desert. She is changed beyond conception by her grief, a grief which has not a moment's intermission. The almost dying paleness of her cheeks is a witness of the excess of her affliction. Yet this very paleness has a thousand charms. Her distress has something in it, unspeakably lovely, adorned by sorrow. She puts me in mind of what Young describes women in general— so properly the object of affliction, that heaven is pleased to make distress become her, 
and dresses her most amiably in tears. Tuesday evening. Belleville. I have been walking in a little wilderness of flowering shrubs, once peculiarly happy in Lady Julia's favor. There is a rose which I saw planted by her hand. It still flourishes in youthful bloom, whilst she, the fairest flower heaven ever formed, lies cropped by the cruel hand of death. What force has the imagination over the senses? How different is the whole face of nature in my eyes? The once smiling scene has a melancholy gloom which strikes a damp through my inmost soul. I look in vain for those vivid beauties which once charmed me. All beauty died with Lady Julia. In this spot where we have so often walked together I give way to all the voluptuousness of sorrow. I recall those happy days which are never to return. A thousand tender ideas rush on my memory. I recollect those dear moments of confidence and friendship engraved forever on my heart. I still hear the sweet accents of that voice, still behold that matchless form. I see her every moment before me, in all the playfulness of youth and innocence. I see her parents gazing on her as she passes, with that lively transport a parent only can know. It was here her rising blushes first discovered to me the secret of her heart. It was here the loveliest of mankind first implored me to favor his passion for my sweet friend. Pleased with the tender sorrow which possessed all my soul, I determined to indulge it to the utmost, and revolving in my imagination the happy hours of cheerful friendship to which that smiling scene had been witness, prolonged my walk till evening had, almost unperceived, spread its gloomy horrors round, till the varied tints of the flowers were lost in the deepening shades of night. Awakening at once from the reverie in which I had been plunged, I found myself at a distance from the house, just entering the little wood so loved by my charming friend. The every moment increasing darkness gave an awful gloom to the trees. I stopped. I looked round. Not a human form was in sight. I listened, and heard not a sound but the trembling of some poplars in the wood. I called, but the echo of my own voice was the only answer I received. A dreary silence reigned around. A terror I never felt before seized me. My heart panted with timid apprehension. I breathed short. I started at every leaf that moved. My limbs were covered with a cold dew. I fancied I saw a thousand airy forms flit around me. I seemed to hear the shrieks of the dead and dying. There is no describing my horrors. At the moment when my fears had almost deprived me of sense, I saw Colonel Mandeville approach. I concealed from him the terrors of my soul, lest they should add to the sorrow which consumed him. He addressed me in a faltering voice, conducted me to the house almost without speaking, and leading me into the saloon, oh, Belleville, how shall I describe what I felt on entering that room? Is not death of itself sufficiently dreadful, that we thus clothe it in additional terrors, by the horrid apparatus with which we suffer it to be attended. The room was hung with black, lighted up to show the affecting objects it contained, and in the midst, in their coffins, the breathless bodies of the hapless lovers. On a couch near them, supported by Emily Howard, the wretched mother wringing her hands in all the agony of despair, Lord Belmont standing by the bodies, looking at them alternately, 
weeping over his child and raising his desponding eyes to heaven, beseeching the God of mercy to relieve him from this load of misery, and to put a speedy period to that life which was now robbed of all its happiness. I approached Lady Julia's coffin. I gazed eagerly on her angel countenance, serene as that of a sleeping infant. I kissed her lifeless lips, which still wore the smile of innocence and peace. Belleville, may my last end be like hers. May I meet her in the regions of immortality. Never shall I forget her gentle virtues or the delight I found in her friendship. She was wrapped in a loose robe of white sateen, her head covered with a veil of gauze. The village maids who laid her in the coffin had adorned her with the freshest flowers that stood at an awful distance, weeping her hard fate and their own. They have entreated to watch around her this night, and to bear her to-morrow to the grave. I had stood some time looking on the dear remains of Lady Julia, when Colonel Mandeville took my hand, and leading me to the coffin in which his sons were deposited. "'Lady Anne,' said he, "'you have forgot your once-favoured friend, your once-gay, once-lovely Harry Mandeville.' Behold, all that death has left of the darling of a fond parent's heart. The graces of that form are lost. Those lips have ceased to utter the generous sentiments of the noblest heart which ever beat. But never will his varied perfections be blotted from the mind of his father. I approached the most lovely of men. The traces of sorrow were visible on his countenance. He died in the moment when he heard the happiness which had been vainly intended for him. My tears streamed afresh when I beheld him, when I remembered the sweet hours we passed together, the gay scenes which hope had painted to our hearts. I wept over the friend I had so loved. I pressed his cold hand to my lips. Belleville, I am now accustomed to horrors. We have prevailed on the wretched parents to retire. Emily Howard and I have entreated to watch our angel friends till midnight, and then leave them to the village maids, to whom Lady Julia's weeping attendants insist on being joined. I dread the rising of tomorrow's sun. He was meant to light us to happiness. Thursday morning. Belleville. This morning is come, this morning once so ardently expected. Who shall ever dare to say, Tomorrow I will be happy? At dawn of day we return to the saloon. We bid a last adieu to the loved remains. My lord and Colonel Mandeville had been before us. They were going to close the coffins. When Lady Belmont burst wildly into the room, she called eagerly for her Julia, for the idol of her agonizing soul. Let me once more behold my child! Let me once more kiss those icy lips. Oh, Julia, this day first gave thee birth. This day fond hope set down for thy bridles. This day we resign thee to the grave. Overcome by the excess of her sorrow, she fainted into the arms of her woman. We took that opportunity to convey her from this scene of terrors. Her senses are not yet returned. Thursday evening. What a day have I passed! May the idea of it be ever blotted from my mind! Nine o'clock. The sad procession begins. The whole village attend in tears. They press to perform the last melancholy duties. Her servants crowd eagerly round. They weep.
they beat their bosoms, they call on their angelic mistress, they kiss the pall that covers her breathless form, borne by the youngest of the village maids. Oh, Belleville, never more shall I behold her, the loveliest of her sex, the friend on whom my heart doted. One grave receives the hapless lovers. They move on, far other processions, but who shall resist the hand of heaven? Emily Howard comes this way. She has left the wretched parents. There is a wildness in her air which chills my blood. She will behold her friend once more. She proposes to meet and join the procession. I embrace the offer with transport, the transport of enthusiastic sorrow. We have beheld the closing scene. Belleville, my heart is breaking. The pride of the world, the loveliest pair that ever breathed the vital air, are now cold and inanimate in the grave. End of section 29. Recording by Jadopi. www.publicdomainaudiobooks.blogspot.com